Back in 1996, Chicago Bulls legend Michael Jordan teamed up with Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes crowd in Space Jam. Of course, it was a live-action, animated mashup that's since become something of a, a cult favorite. And now, 25 years later, LeBron James is picking up where Jordan left off in Space Jam, A New Legacy. What brings you to Tone Wad, Doc? You see, these aliens come from outer space. The computer dude kidnapped my son. They want to make us slaves, so we challenge them to a basketball game. The only way you're getting your son back is if you and I play a little basketball. You want to play me in basketball? What I'm trying to say is... We need your help! Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, one of my favorite parts of working at Plugged In is the fact that movies often surprise me. I think I know what I'm going to get, and then it veers off in a different direction. Sometimes in a bad way, and sometimes in a good way. For me, Space Jam, A New Legacy, has been one of the biggest surprises of the year. And I had a chance to see it along with Lauren Cook and Emily Clark. And we're going to unpack what parents need to know about it, both the good and maybe some things that are not so good, as well as talking about how it stacks up with the original. And a bit later in this week's episode, we'll also hear from American Idol veteran Phil Stacy, whom I recently had a chance to sit down and talk with. I think you're going to enjoy that conversation, too. So with no further ado... Let's dive in. As I mentioned, we've got Emily Clark and Lauren Cook. Okay, we have a lot to cover today, so we're going straight in on this. I know you two are chomping at the bit to compare these two movies, but let's talk about the new one first. In a nutshell, and it's a little bit complicated, but as much as we can simplify it, what is the story this time around? Well, Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes team up with an NBA star oh, to, play ba- to play a game of basketball. You got it. And if that sounds familiar, that's because it is. <laughs> it is the same story. The only difference is that instead of aliens from outer space, they are fighting up against a computer algorithm called Al-G-Rhythm. Oh, I see yes. what you did there. Yes. Played with maniacal glee by Don Cheadle. I mean, Looks like he's having a great time. I'm happy for him. I think that another part of the story that is important here is the story of... Uh, the relationship between LeBron James and his middle son, Dom. Lauren, tell us a little bit more about how that plays into the plot. So, yeah, like you said, Dom is LeBron James' son in the movie, and he's really into video games and technology. He's really talented. He actually made his own video game sort of inspired by basketball. Um, But LeBron really wants him to pursue basketball like he did. So he wants him to go to basketball camp when Dom really just wants to go to a video game camp. So that causes a lot of friction between them. And Dom sort of finds solace. He finds someone who understands him in this algae rhythm figure. So he sort of um, adopts him and says, you know, I can help you pursue your dreams. I can help you pursue video games. Your father doesn't really care about you like that. Yeah. And it's a crazy convoluted plot, but sort of the short version is algae rhythm is the algorithm that lives in the Warner Brothers servers at Warner Brothers Studios. Very meta. And it's very meta. And he is uh, in charge of kind of the marketing program and they invite LeBron to participate mm-hmm. 
And LeBron's not really interested, and he takes it personally because algorithm, as we know, algorithms want to take over the world. They're always listening. Of course. They have access to all of our devices. So there's a little tiny bit of a cautionary note, I think, maybe buried in there. And It's a um, little bit I was going to say, just, I mean, it's a joke. It's yeah. like, yeah, yep, it, computers are trying to take over the world. Like, it's not an actual, like, hey, you should be scared thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's right. I mean, it's, it's all very light. Uh, and it has, a for viewers of a certain age, it has a little bit of a Tron feel, too, because they <laughs> yes, all was... end up in this basketball game inside the servers at Warner Brothers. Ready Player One from the yeah, younger, younger generation. Yes, maybe. Re- exactly. So... That's the sort of overview of the plot. What would you say parents really need to know about this, both in terms of things you liked and perhaps cautions? And as I mentioned, there were surprises in both of these categories for me. But what do you guys think? On a positive note, I think that we really get a nice, lovely little father-son story here. LeBron learns that, you know, he doesn't have to make his son be exactly like him. And in a way, he's trying to protect his legacy. But, you know, protecting your legacy doesn't necessarily mean that your kid has to be exactly like you. It could just because, you know, Dom creates this video game based on basketball. Like he likes basketball. He just doesn't like it as much as his dad and his older brother do. Um, And, you know, he just LeBron has to learn, you know, let your your child is going to be their own person. You know, you should the most important thing is to love them unconditionally, make sure that they know they are unique and special and, you know, support them when they want to pursue a passion. And, and, you know, he does, um, one thing he does do really well is he teaches his sons, you know, it doesn't matter how much raw talent you have. What matters is that you put hard work behind it. Raw talent means nothing without the trials and tribulations that come with working hard. And maybe it's because I have a 14-year-old. I feel like this movie really spoke to me mm-hmm. powerfully as a dad. And that was one of the surprises. Like, I, okay. I I went in and, you know, if I'm on Team Michael Jordan or Team LeBron James because of when I grew up, of course I'm going to pick Jordan, right? I mean, it's this sort of cultural <laughs> of conversation that's happening. So I didn't have super high expectations for it. But I found myself pretty deeply moved on a number of occasions because LeBron has to realize – that he's made some mistakes that in trying to force his child into his own image and his dreams about him, his dreams for him, he's missed some stuff. And uh, I liked that part of the story. And there's one part of the story where he tells his son early on, it's about giving everything you've got. Where's your fundamentals? And they're playing basketball. And then later on, Bugs Bunny of all characters makes a pretty sacrificial choice Mm -hmm. and everybody's concerned about what's going to happen with him. And he says, and I'll spare you a Bugs Bunny voice, even though I'm tempted, (laughs) taking care of the people you love is fundamental. And that word, I don't think the fact that it showed up twice is a coincidence that, that, you know, ultimately the message of this movie is we've got to take care of the ones we love. And that involves teaching them to work hard as you guys have been talking about but also giving them the freedom to to be who they are and understanding their interests and their passions and their talents may not line up with exactly what we as parents think they should be doing. You have to give them space to grow. You have to give them space to grow. Absolutely. So that was the positive surprise. What about on the on the cautionary side of things? What do parents need to be aware of here? 
Okay, or, so or just know about. Maybe beware is too strong a word. Honestly, my biggest problem is the fact that there are a couple of mild profanities in yeah. there. And that really bugs me because the Looney Tunes has been entertaining us since, what, the 1930s? Yeah. Never utters a single curse word. Still, you know, valid. Here we are in 2021. They're still relevant to the culture. And yet they had to throw in these swear words. It just felt you could have cut those words out. It would not have changed the tone of the film. It wouldn't have changed the tone of those scenes. They were unnecessary. And it's like, you know, if you're going to make a movie for kids, you should. I feel like you should make every effort to actually make it for kids. Yeah, I felt the same way. Lauren, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I don't think the profanity was like necessarily super excessive. I mean, this is a PG movie and it stays within the PG range yeah. but I mean on that same track I was really surprised by like you said this takes a lot of this takes place in the Warner Brothers like server verse yep. quote unquote and so a lot there's a lot of references to a lot of Warner Brothers properties yes. that are not at all kids appropriate like exactly. there's a lot of Game of Thrones references like Rick and Morty appears at one point which was shocking to me right the Matrix is in there um, there's some Harry Potter references if that's something that's concerning to you and well in, um, the, in the biggest one and I'll interrupt you and then yeah. you can keep talking Go. the one that shocked me was the there are the three characters from a clockwork yes. orange oh my goodness and a clockwork orange might be the most shocking movie i have not ever appropriate for seen. anyone to watch ever and i never even finished watching it it was too much and i'm like okay kids are not gonna know Right. I mean, right. this is totally an Easter egg for it's an Easter cinephile egg for the parents. parents. But, you know, that who's to say that, you know, the parent has even seen that right. film, right. you know, that's, that's... It's, it's just it doesn't work. It's like you can sit there and say, well, we're doing this for the parents, but it's not so incredibly entertaining that it was necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I would call like the Clockwork Orange appearance more of like an Easter egg, and still it's like, why does that need to be there? But even like the Rick and Morty Game of Thrones appearances, yeah. like those are front and center, like right. central, not central to the plot, but they're every eye is drawn to those, and it's mm -hmm. very apparent for you know maybe a minute of screen time, and those are things that either kids know what they are and shouldn't be watching but maybe know what they are and want to pursue that or it puts it on their radar it's like oh what is that i want to pursue that when they should not be doing that at all yeah. so it's the movie sort of putting these things um like on the radar of young kids who should not be exposed to these things yeah absolutely and that was a not a deal killer disappointment mm -hmm. and the profanity is not a deal killer disappointment but like you emily my thought was totally unnecessary right, like yeah. if if gratuitous is defined as something that we don't need you know, it's just That's somebody gratuitous. being clever. It's totally a gratuitous thing. So yeah. I know both of you are super fans of the original. How do they stack up? I, think, I like the original better. Of course. I of think course. Michael what? Jordan all the way, which I don't know. I don't want to necessarily give away a spoiler, but you may or may not see Michael Jordan in the film. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I think one of the biggest differences for me was I think this one was a lot more plot heavy. And I think it took yeah. itself a lot more seriously, yeah. which is something now in like 2021, you can't exactly have a movie that's so flighty as the original Space Jam was. I mean, the original Space Jam was kind of just, can we do this and can it work? And it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And there's not, I mean, the plot is they're playing basketball a bunch of, against a bunch of aliens so that they don't get captured and become theme parks attractions and that's is that happened to me once uh, yeah me too you know it's terrible regular tuesday and that <laughs> that's just the entire plot of the original this one you have to i mean we took a couple minutes to describe what's happening right. here and i think that's kind of a strike against it because it's like i don't I think the humans are the least interesting part of this movie. Like, yes, I want to spend time with, with the Looney Tunes. I want to spend time with... I mean, it's like like the like Jurassic World movies. I think the humans are the least interesting right. part. Well, I care about the, the dinosaurs. Raptors. I care about the dinosaurs. <laughs> so I think 
the amount of time we spend like with LeBron and his family and you know all his friends I'm like all right get, show me Bug show me Daffy like let, right. let's get this moving it does take a while to set up the story and I do agree with you it's like I came here for Bugs and Daffy and Lola and the whole gang I did not come here for LeBron so it was kind it kind of dragged for me a little bit at the beginning but I will say so the messages of the two films is very different. In the original Space Jam, you know, it's all about you have it within you to overcome any obstacle. You know, they they've got that. I believe I can fly. Stuff, you mm-hmm. know, I can believe I I believe I can fly. All that sort of stuff. And this movie was more uh, honestly and truly. This one was way more family driven. This was yeah. about knowing who your family is and loving them unconditionally and never giving up on them. That's what this movie is about. So if you're talking in terms of like, which one has a better message, they're both good messages, but I actually think that this one might win out in terms of the power of that Mm -hmm. message because of the storytelling. Well, Space Jam, A New Legacy is obviously a movie aimed at kids, but I think as we've talked about here, its core message is one that families and maybe especially dads need to hear too. And we need to be engaged with our kids. We need to listen to them. We need to push them to excel and we need to pay attention to what their dreams are and find out what makes them tick, what motivates them, what helps them want to work hard. And I think more so than most animated movies, this one gives families a chance to ask some questions afterwards. Go out, have some ice cream, have a special treat, whatever your family special treat is, you know, have a laugh and then go ask these questions. What are your dreams? And ask these of your children. What really excites you about the future? What makes you want to work hard? What hinders you from giving your best? And how can we, as mom or dad, do better in hearing your heart and encouraging you in the areas where you're passionate? And I think, even though there are some downsides, I think that Space Jam as a movie is the kind of story that really invites that kind of conversation. And speaking of inviting conversations... Earlier this week, I had an exciting opportunity to sit down with Phil Stacy. And if you are an American Idol fan and you were watching, oh, a ways back, 2007, you may remember Phil Stacy made it into the top six. And I think that you're going to enjoy the conversation that we had. First of all, what has your journey looked like since American Idol in 2007? And what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? Oh, yeah. It's been a crazy journey. I feel like it's been like three lifetimes Yeah, <laughs> since American Idol. <laughs> um, and the fact that, you know, God is still using that platform is huge. But that's just a testament to who God is. And, and you never know what he's doing in your life, but it's probably something awesome. <laughs> and uh, I, I came off American Idol and I, I jumped into country music for a little while. And, uh-huh. and uh, if you were country music at the time, or fan at the time, I was traveling around with Lady Antebellum, Sugarland, Trace Atkins, spent a year doing that, uh, experienced some success in country music. Um, and then I shifted over to Christian music, which kind of transitioned me into a place where I was able to do a lot of mission stuff. Okay. So American Idol ended up being a really cool platform for missions. And in fact, we were just now with somebody uh, who's interning right now with Focus, who's from Ethiopia. Wow. <laughs> uh, like she grew up on the mission field in Ethiopia and uh, she knew what American Idol was. Yeah. Uh, but that's the way it is all over the world. I would go to Japan or China or somewhere in Europe or, or Central America and everywhere you go, if people don't know you, they know your platform. Yeah. Uh, and even people that aren't 
familiar with American Idol. They're familiar with television, and they just feel like you're the biggest deal in the world. Well, and it was sort of the granddaddy of rea- oh, reality yeah. show competition. The voice, so. the sing-off, America's Got Talent, all that stuff. And, and when I came on, just like you said, it was kind of, I would be willing to admit that it was kind of the... The not the downfall. <laughs> I don't want to. Well, say wasn't that. Carrie Underwood the season before you? No, she you? was two seasons two before seasons. me. The season okay. before me though was huge. So season yeah. five. Uh, by that point, we had forty million people watching every yeah. week. We had Taylor Hicks who won. We had uh, Catherine McPhee, Chris Daughtry, Kelly Pickler, yeah. uh, Mandisa. You had a whole top ten group yeah. that left the show and got big record deals. Yeah, or went to Broadway immediately. So you had this huge cultural phenomenon. And then my season, we came it, on. It was working, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah. It was creating American we Idols. Did, we did end up having, I think, the audience peaked on my season. Yeah. Uh, because of the success of season five. People came in thinking, wow, you know, they're creating these huge stars. And they were. And uh, so you, it was nerve-wracking. You know, you're, you're on there. But to see kind of how that platform ended up kind of benefiting the world of missions. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten to share the gospel with literally millions of people all mm. over the world because missionaries saw that opportunity. And I was anxious to partner with them. And uh, I, I love it. I love it. I still, you know, COVID has kind right. of stopped that <laughs> in its tracks. But, but already as the world is opening up, we're already getting contacted by people to come back out. So I am a worship pastor at a church. Church, but I do still travel. Okay. And and that's a lot of what I do is partnering with these missions organizations uh, to reach communities around the world, man. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, and I want to, I'm going to circle back to this question in a little different way here in a bit, but for a lot of us, fame is sort of a, at least a childhood aspiration, but I'm curious how your current role as a creative arts pastor at a Midwestern church is satisfying to you, maybe in a way that American Idol wasn't. Yeah, I think... Um, First of all, I lived my whole life wanting to be a singer and wanting to be a recording artist. But the moment, the moment that the little red light on the camera turned on for my first live performance, I instantly didn't want to be famous anymore. Hmm. I felt terrified, man. Yeah. Like I was literally on stage with a microphone music's playing and I'm like, is it too late to quit? Hmm. Uh, now I kept pushing on. And was that the pressure of the moment? I don't know or? what it was. It was just, I'm kind of an introvert. Okay. Um, and I felt very exposed <laughs> and of course you're about to sing. And right. as soon as you finish singing, you've got Simon Cowell, who's going to say something about your performance. <laughs> and I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be good, but, uh, just nervous, you know? Yeah. Um, it was at the audition that you're talking about. Like no, that was the first live performance. First live. So this okay. is months into the process. Okay. The audition process was a lot of fun for me. Um, but now, uh, I've got more of an understanding of who I am in Christ, my identity okay. in Christ. And because of that, the pressure to perform has been lifted from me. Mm. If I get up and I sing and, it, and my voice isn't like what it, you know, what it was yesterday or whatever, doesn't bother me at all anymore. I, I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit to do a work through my life because you can be impressed, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't do a work, it right. doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. So all the pressure is on him. <laughs> and I think that my role as a worship arts pastor, creative arts pastor at a church, um, is first of all, obviously it's a lot easier in regards to the fact that there's not 40 million people judging you. Right. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) But I also, you know, that demonstration of love, I, I, it's truly revealing of Christ living through me. Hmm. You know, the scripture, you know, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Um, but man, you get up in front of these people you serve and you feel God's love for them. Even Hmm. people you haven't gotten to meet yet. Yeah. 
Uh, and man, that's love. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? That's agape. Yeah. And uh, which is, you know, godly love. Hmm. And uh, it, it is very fulfilling. I, I really do love serving the people that I get to serve. That's fantastic. Well, you know, when you and I were growing up, if you wanted to pursue a career in the arts or show business, there were three destinations, right? You packed up your car <laughs> from Ohio or Iowa and you drove to Los Angeles, maybe Nashville or New York or New City. New York City, that's right. right. <laughs> Those are the places you went. And obviously right. there are still people who do that. For sure. But then American Idol comes along and all of a sudden there's this democratizing at least in theory of the path to fame. And then a couple years later, YouTube shows up and now you don't even have to go on a reality TV show. You can just set your camera up. Yeah. I was about to say like American, I was like the precursor to YouTube. Totally. Totally. And you know, we got Justin Bieber and Sean Mendez and a whole long list of people who showed up Mm -hmm. through social media. And now it's to the point where there've been a couple of surveys the last few years asking kids what they want to be and they want to be social media influencers. They want to yes. be they want to be artists and they see social media as the path to fame. And so mm-hmm. my question is, what would you say both to maybe tweens and teens who are interested in that mm-hmm. and or to parents who are trying to help guide their kids as they have these aspirations, <laughs> yeah. but we know that the odds are still probably stacked against them. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I should go ahead and my disclaimer is I'm not an expert on this. Okay, <laughs> I do have two kids, uh, my 14 year old and 17 year old, both daughters. Um, I will tell you one interesting aspect of when we grew up, we had two worlds we lived in. We had this real world mm-hmm. and then we had the worlds in our heads <laughs> and right. in our heads, we were just making those plans. Today, kids have three worlds they live in. Mm. You know, they have the world in their head that it still exists and yep. is healthy <laughs> or unhealthy. <laughs> and then they have the real world they live in, but they also have social media. It's a whole other, it's, it is a different dimension that they actually reside in. Yeah. They can have completely different personalities. They may be a completely different person. In that world. I will tell you, I think that social media can be used for good. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people actively criticize it in general. Um, but I think mankind is created for community. Hmm. If we could figure out how to crack the code of making Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or Facebook an actual community that brings you closer instead of isolates you, I think that's the problem we have right now. Yeah. Um, I think... It's fine. Like my kids, they want to put up, you know, videos on YouTube of them singing songs and and all that stuff. I would tell them the same thing that I tell people who are wanting to audition for American Idol. American Idol made stars in 2007, 2006. I'm not in any way criticizing the people who are on the shows now. Sure. They, they may have better talent now than they've ever had. Yeah. Uh, but American Idol is not a star-making machine anymore. No, because everything's fragmented. That's There's right. There's so many more channels. That's right. And now, I mean, it's just so, I mean, back in the day, remember, we had radio. And right. Before our generation, it was one radio station. Right. Played everything. <laughs> and then they separated into pop music, country music, all that stuff. Man, it's just so spread thin uh, that even though it is creating stars and it's creating fortunes for a lot of people, the real thing you need to remember is is to help your kids, uh, to help people recognize uh, not to make compromises. Okay. At who they want to be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I've, so many young ladies who are on TikTok or on Instagram or whatever feel the pressure to start, you know, I'll, I'll just be a little crude, to start removing clothing items yeah. or all that stuff. Because, because you see 
a lot of these Instagram models that will immediately shoot up and tons of followers. The problem is, is that leads to real perversion. It yeah. leads to real corruption. You know, there's a whole other side of social media. And now there's a social media site for, for like young girls who into their adulthoods become like basically self-made porn stars. Yep. And, uh, and there's a huge audience and you're seeing these people on the TikToks and on the YouTubes talking about the fortunes that they're making. Mm. You know what I mean? Christ said you can't serve both God and money. Mm. And I think one of the attractions and the draws to being a star, at least it was for me, yeah, was the aspect of getting rich. Oh, well, yeah. I <laughs> mean, all, of, all of the things being equal, who doesn't want to be rich, exactly, right? Exactly, right. It's, it's a lot more fun than being poor. Right. I've gotten to, I've True gotten to experience both of them. Well, I know one side. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so I think that, that uh, if we have an understanding of our identity in Christ— an understanding of the wealth and the value of being a child of the Most High God, uh, it dilutes the value that this world can give you. Mm. Uh, the process of being famous or even rich or whatever is just diluted. It doesn't matter as much anymore when you understand who the, who our King is, who our God is, and that He loves us so much that He calls us our His child. That mm. Jesus, when He teaches us to pray, He could have taught us anything to call Him. He starts His prayer with our Father. Mm. Wow magnificent that a God who can breathe stars into existence wants to be called father by us. And when we grasp that, when we understand our value in God's eyes and we see how temporary this world is, tomorrow's not even promised, man. Right. So it's so temporary and everything is so worthless. You see Solomon wrestling with this in Ecclesiastes, how worthless and pointless all of our pursuits in life is. And, and when it boils down to it, the joy that we find is in our God hmm. and in the work that he gives our hands uh, to do. And um, I think if, you know, if you're a tween or you're a teen or whatever, there's a lot of pressure, man. There's hmm. a lot of pressure on you, your own aspirations. Everybody in your world has aspirations on your behalf. Your parents know who they want you to be. Your friends know who they want you to be. Remember this. This is the truth. You will only find fulfillment in what God wants you to be. Hmm. Man, I've seen it a million times. I think you, you may have missed film. your calling, Phil. You should Did have been I? a preacher, not a singer. Why does everybody tell me that? <laughs> what well, it is, still is I talk too much. There's still time, right? <laughs> no, I I love that because I think that obviously uh, my kids are 10, 12, and 14. So a little bit behind yours yeah. and beginning to see those same things of just that, the desire for affirmation, the issue of identity. And that's where I want to go next. Um, we had talked about our identity in Christ. You talked about our identity in Christ. Um, I want to talk about that in relationship to music. Music has obviously played a huge role in your life. It's played a huge role in my life. I'm curious from your perspective, how do you see the music that kids are listening to today shaping their sense of identity and what they value most in life? Oh, man. Whew. Goodness. Music is just such a heavenly gift. Hmm. Um, that can absolutely be abused. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to be one of those guys that's like, be careful what you're listening to. But remember what you put into your heart, what you feed is going to live and thrive and what you starve is going to die. Mm. So if you are putting heartbreak songs into you, if you're putting songs that are obsessed with with personal success or ego or all that stuff, man, that is what is going to thrive in your life. And if you're putting into your spirit songs that are glorifying to God, that is what is going to thrive. So we're created in the image of God, mm. uh, which means there's three parts of God. He's uh, Trinity, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and in that is body, soul, 
mind, basically, mm-hmm. uh, body, or body, spirit, mind. Um, I would say God the Father, the mind, God the Son, the body, and God the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit is the spirit. We have the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like an egg. You've got the shell, the yolk, and the whites. Um, we have the same thing. But our flesh is corrupt. Mm. Our flesh, like the human nature of who we are, it doesn't necessarily change because we get saved. You still have temptations. You still have things that you're drawn to, even on a chemistry level, Mm. that you know are not healthy for you spiritually. Um, Your mind can be renewed. Mm. And the Bible talks about that, renewing your mind. Right. Um, Your spirit is reborn. That is the part of you that is born again when you accept Christ. Mm. So now it is Christ living through me. So my spirit is actually the spirit of Christ. Um, now, so now what we have is this constant war between the spirit and what can be our mind, depending on what we're feeding it and our body. And, uh, so if I'm feeding my spirit, if I'm in the word, if I'm listening to music that glorifies God, that makes God a priority in my day, I'm feeding my spirit and my spirit is going to thrive. But if I'm spending all day watching TikToks, watching YouTube videos that are not Christ glorifying at all, I'm feeding my flesh. Mm. Um, and so it's going to thrive then. Right. And I think that music is, it's like crack. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, uh, what are the, when the hospitals like stick it right into your vein? Right. Intravenous <laughs> tr- drug. Exactly. That is music, man. We are so connected. And, and the thing that I think is troublesome is that when you, when you hear about like all the relationship drama, it doesn't discourage you from relationships. It makes you want to experience it. Right. So when you're listening to these songs about heartbreak or listening, you're watching these young ladies who are singing about their breakups or whatever. Right. And they're like 14. Right. (laughs) And, uh, it, it draws you into that world. And the funny part about it is that they are singing about how miserable it made them. Right. They're, they're exposing it. They're talking to you about how it, push them into addictions and all that stuff. But for some reason you notice that it's like a magnet to you. You're like, I want to experience that. And Mm. you're going into an experience that everybody is telling you this leads to depression. This leads to addiction. Mm. Well, let me just follow that. You know what I mean? But if you're feeding your spirit, that leads you to life. It leads you to love, man. The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things. We feed on that fruit from Christ himself. Mm. So, like, obviously, if you're producing fruit, right, you're not producing it for yourself. Right. A, a fruit tree doesn't produce love or an apple to feed itself. It, it produces fruit to feed people. those who are around, right? Mm. But we are a branch that's connected to a vine. So we get those things directly from Christ. Mm. And that is knowing, again, your identity. And I would say consuming art, whether it's music or film or anything like that, try to find things that you can feed your spirit because that's where you're going to experience love and joy and peace. I can't tell you how many celebrities I met, and forgive me for talking so much. No, I, that I, I'm were really enjoying it. Just miserable, man. I don't know how many people that I saw going into rehab facilities or, or to, even people who committed suicide, people who were miserable, and they had everything that yeah. you would ever imagine. I saw this quote from Jim Carrey one time. I wish everybody could have everything they ever wanted so they could see that it's not enough. Wisdom from Jim Carrey. Wisdom from Jim Carrey, bro. But when you are in Christ, man, you can you can experience real fulfillment. Doesn't mean the road's gonna be easy, but it does mean the road is gonna be fulfilled and that you're gonna be able to enjoy the joy of Christ. Such great truth there from former American Idol star Phil Stacy. Well, as always, thanks so much for joining us on the Plugged In Show today, and I hope you'll continue your conversation with us. 
We would love to hear your thoughts on Space Jam or if Phil Stacy's thoughts sparked an idea that you would like to share with us. You can let us know on Facebook or Instagram. And as our way of saying thank you for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation today. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Thanks again for spending some time with us today, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week when we talk about the Olympics on The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.